0: Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come, gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Today, we have a new-to-me author. He's from the Jackson, Michigan area, and his name is Brian G. Walsh. He's going to be reading from his novel today titled The Last Angel to Fall. Welcome, Brian, to the show. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you, Diana, for having
0: me. Uh, I want to, before we begin, I want to make sure that we make our listeners aware that we do have a listener advisory today for strong language, violence, and mature situations. So if you have little ears nearby, this is an episode that you might wanna preview before you share it with the little people in your life. Brian G. Walsh is the author of the cross-genre Jubal Stone series, which includes The Last Angel to Fall, a recipient of the Gold Award from Literary Titan, and Reader's Favorite awarded it a five star review. The second book in this series, A Cold Day in Hell, has also been well received by readers. Brian also wrote No Place for Mercy, an eclectic anthology of short stories that some have compared to the writings of Hemingway, Steinbeck, King, Poe, Serling, and Kuntz that's an amazing collection of people to be compared to that. That's pretty incredible. Thank you. Uh, He also is a three time screenwriting fellowship and contest finalist screenwriting consultant screenwriting instructor skip script coverage provider and script reader for four international screenplay contests. His character driven international screenplay I'm sorry, his character-driven supernatural thriller screenplay, Fury, was chosen as a finalist in the 2014 Creative Worlds Awards International Screenplay Competition. Brian was born and raised in Lynn, Massachusetts, and currently lives in Jackson. Again, welcome Welcome to the show. show. I'm so glad glad that that you're here. you're here. That's quite an impressive resume.
1: Thank you very much, Diana.
0: I'm I'm really happy to hear that you've made the crossover from screenplays into novels, because so often we hear about it happening in the other direction.
1: Yes, it's a lot different, it really is. Screenwriting is so sparse compared to this.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, because you have to focus on camera direction rather than on characterization.
1: Exactly, if right. it can't be seen on the screen, you can't write it.
0: Exactly. So let's tell everybody a little bit about this book. After 12 federal agents are murdered, Black Ops Special Agent Jubal Stone, still grieving over the death of his wife, is pulled from a desk assignment and plunged into a nightmare pursuit of a fallen angel who was imprisoned inside a meteorite that struck South Central Michigan, a rebel angel who possesses information that could help Lucifer win his war against God. As he hunts the last angel to fall, Jubal learns about a shocking conspiracy between Lucifer and the State Department and the treaty they were forced to sign to avoid attack from hell. This rogue CIA agent is also in pursuit and he has very different plans for the fallen angel. Jubal's long-held beliefs are shattered when he learns the other side of the story of the war between good and evil from an angel expert. His mentor believes was sent to lead Jubal astray. Ashiva Rain was born in Hell, and she is keeping secrets that could get them killed. Ignoring his mentor's warnings, Jubal is slowly seduced into a taboo affair with his beautiful mysterious woman and an affair that is condemned by heaven and hell alike. With the apocalypse approaching and the end of the world imminent, the State Department has been forced to make peace with the devil because God has stopped answering prayers. This is a really intriguing storyline. Thank you, David. I love the tease of Um, the spy world and the religious world. I think that's a very interesting dichotomy to write about.
1: I did a lot of research on spying on the spy world and of course on the Bible. I did exhaustive research on the Bible and I always wondered what it would be like to have a thriller written about something like that, about what would happen, how would the government respond if a fallen angel came to earth now?
0: Right, right. Yeah, we've all seen speculation about aliens from other worlds, but this is a kind of a different world approach. It's kind of cool. I'm excited to hear you read. When you are ready, please take the microphone
1: and read aloud. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Location. Bioanalysis Masters Labs in Napoleon, Michigan. December 21st, approximately 7 p.m. I told Coleman and Ashiba to wait in the car. Coleman refused until I told him that Toby would never open up completely in front of anyone else. Coleman insisted I tell him everything when I was finished. Nothing held back. I agreed and told him that we were both needed to be open with each other from now on if we hope to find the fallen angel and get him to the transfer station. It was after regular business hours and everyone else had gone home. An anxious Toby Barton was waiting for me in the lobby. He grabbed me by the arm and couldn't usher me down the hall to his office fast enough. I sat while Toby locked the door. He took the battery out of his phone and made me do the same. His computer was nowhere in sight. I waited patiently for Toby to begin, but my friend didn't seem to know how or where to start. Toby pulled a bottle of whiskey and two glasses from his bottom desk drawer and set them on the desk. He poured two stiff drinks pounded his down, and when I refused the offer, he drank that one too. He then poured himself another. For a man who only drank hard liquor on special occasions and always in moderation, this was very unusual. Toby rotated the glass on the table, staring at the whiskey. His voice was hardly more than a whisper. Where did you really get those stumbles? I came to you for answers, remember? You gave me the samples without context. You told me where you had picked them up and that they were from a crime scene, but you didn't tell me what the samples were from. I also told you it was a national security matter. Huh, I believe that. Oh, boy, do I believe it. Toby sipped his wh- whiskey this time. He leaned back in his chair and sighed. The gold dust is comprised of monatomic gold and various other minerals. It is a kind of liquid gold, but it has an electrochemical process going on that I can't identify. I know it was in flakes, but it turns into liquid over 90 degrees. It's got other properties that are causing me some confusion as well. It's got a similar makeup to blood in a lot of ways. Blood? How is gold like blood? It has everything blood has. You mean like Corpuscles, white and red blood cells, and all that shit. Something like that, and more, much more. Those black dots, that speckled stuff, that is something else altogether. So far, that has defied complete analysis, but I can make some educated guesses. Mm, well, I'm all ears. I'd have to say it serves the same purpose as blood, but since it's gold, it serves that purpose for a non-human life form. I held his gaze. Toby nodded. So, you do know where this came from. I haven't seen it, but I've seen its handiwork. I don't know for sure what it is. That's why I came to you. Toby gulped down the remainder of his third shot of whiskey and sat up straight. All right, now let me tell you about the other sample. The black speckles that were mixed with the gold. It's a second kind of life fluid, apparently. Resistant to cold and heat. It won't freeze or burn. It regenerates tissue of whatever body part it's in. The samples I've got started growing things before I put them in a cryogenic vault. Believe it or not, even in there, the samples haven't frozen, but at least they've stopped growing. It regenerates tissue. What, what was it growing? Limbs, organs, brain, everything if I vandalized it correctly. No, no, no. Stuff like that only happens on the sci-fi channel. Wrong, Toby said. The genomes of the animal kingdom are my specialty, Jubal. There are creatures in nature that can do just that. The axolotl can regenerate limbs, its lower jaw, heart, even parts of its brain. I never heard of anything like that. Not only that, but it creates new connections in the brain to support the regenerated body. And as for bone, well, deer can grow antlers weighing over 60 pounds in about three months. Toby poured himself another drink. I've always thought it's an amazing world. We live in Jubal, but never more so than today. Well, what's your conclusion? Whatever it is in those samples, whatever they came from is unprecedented. It has characteristics of humans, animals, insects, and plants. And it regenerates tissues and cells, everything. It's a walking A to Z chimera. Chimera? An animal combining characteristics of two different species. It comes from mythology. Only this thing has characteristics of more species than I can count. Its DNA is like a kludge of every species on Earth. And that's scientifically impossible. Could this be genetically engineered? Theoretically, I'd say that's the only way something like this could exist. No one has the capability to do something like this. And that feather you found blew me away. It's still alive in some fashion. The claw, too. That claw is the most amazing thing of all. It's regenerating tissue, recreating what used to exist. And it's transmitting, like an organic radio station. Probably GPS, too. Or well, what's your conclusion? Exactly what is this thing? I can't identify something that's never been catalogued. But if you're chasing after this thing, I wouldn't want to be you for anything in the world right now. I don't know if this thing even can be killed, because it's constantly regenerating, repairing, maintaining itself. I'd say it's immortal. No such thing, I said. Everything can be killed. You just have to know how. I would have agreed with you before I saw those samples, Toby said. This thing surely can't die of natural causes. I suppose, theoretically, it would be possible to kill something like this, but I just don't know how you'd do it. Nonsense, I said. If I blow its brains out, it's dead. End of story. Danger, Will Robinson, you're not listening, Toby said. There are things going on at the atomic level, tiny organisms like bots, but these are organic, constantly making repair, repairing, refreshing the genome. If you blew this thing's head off, it would simply grow a new one, brain included. This was not something I wanted to hear. I needed answers, not obstacles. And I definitely didn't need to hear that this was a no-win situation. There is always some way around, even the most complicated obstacle. If anyone could figure it out, it was the man sitting across from me. What can overcome the regeneration process? Cold? You said the samples stopped growing in cold. That's a little premature. I'm not certain about anything yet. The cold slowed down the process, but it didn't stop. It is still biologically active, even inside the cryogenic chamber. Slowed down considerably, but not to inertia. Still active, Toby said. What if I were to seal it inside an airtight incinerator? Something that would destroy it whole before it had time to regenerate. Toby shrugged. Based on the reactions I got during testing, this thing isn't bothered by heat or light. In fact, it can absorb sunlight and convert it into energy, like Vespa orientalis, better known as the oriental hornet. That hornet can convert sunlight into energy. So can this thing. Convert sunlight into energy? What kind of energy? That depends on the size of the animal and its receptors. The bigger the area of solar energy capture, the more energy it can discharge. If this thing is the size of a man, it could fry you crispy. Jesus. I guarantee if you go toe to toe with this thing, you're going to come out looking worse than Apollo Creed after the Russian beat his brains out. Or For the record, Rocky beat the Russian in the grudge match. If you step into the ring with this creature, there isn't going to be any rematch. Find me something I can use, Toby. I need some kryptonite. On my way out the door, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was on a collision course with certain death. I was under orders to find the fallen angel and escort him to some undisclosed location, which Coleman claimed was some kind of tunnel through time and space. To send him through it, send him to hell. I shivered involuntarily. At that moment, I wanted nothing more than to just beg off the case, fold my tent, and go home. Why should I care anyway? They had kept me in the dark, practically blindfolded me, spun me like a top, and shoved me on my way. I felt like a storm, thrashing about without direction. And without proper guidance, I could do a lot of damage, a whole world of damage. This fallen angel was immortal, according to Toby, and Toby was never wrong. But he had to be this time. If the fallen angel refused to be taken where Coleman and I were ordered to deliver him, we'd have to force the issue. The fallen angel would probably kill us if we tried to force him to do something he didn't want to do. He had already proved he had no problem killing people. I got in the car without looking at Coleman, who just sat and waited. Ashiba leaned forward from the back seat, her head between me and Coleman. What kind of a place is this? A genetics lab, I said, privately owned by someone I trust. Genetics, Ashiba frowned. I could tell she hadn't understood the word. I turned to Coleman. I don't know what this creature really is, but a fallen angel is as believable as anything else. Is um, that what Toby Barton said? He said the samples come from a being that can regenerate any part of itself that's damaged. A being that can absorb sunlight and convert it into energy. With DNA that has characteristics of human, animal, insect, and plants. Coleman whistled. So um, that's the recipe for making an angel. That's the recipe for making everything. Even us, Bathsheba said. Coleman and I turned to her. Well, surely you know how we all came to be. We, We know God created the first man and woman, Coleman said. God created the universe from himself. He then created the angels from himself, Ashiba said. Then he created the people, the animals, insects, and plants from the angels. Coleman's phone rang. He turned away to answer it. Everything in the universe is connected, Ashiba said. We are all related. Coleman shut his phone and turned back to me. Mr. David Rosecrans will see us now. I can't wait to hear what he's got to add to our nightmare. That's why Toby called this thing a chimera. I said, God used angel DNA to create every living thing on earth. Even us. We were made from angels. Location, Tantrae Farm, Chelsea, Michigan. December 21st, approximately 9 p.m. It was dark and the angel was tired. He slumped against a snow encrusted tree. He was leaking gold like the sap from a tree. Something was very wrong with him. The idea of tired was foreign to him, appalling, but he just couldn't shake it. He had never felt weary, but now he was experiencing an exhaustion so burdensome it pulled at him, drew him to the ground with physical force. This was the gravity that humans were chained to, but angels were not. He slid roughly down the side of the tree and fell in a heap under some bushes. Buried in snow, he was concealed from view. His side hurt from the tree. His back was aching and sore. He lowered his head and breathed deeply. He realized that his breathing was labored, heavy. What was happening to him? He hadn't felt this strange since his last meeting with God. A twittering sound shook him from his reverie. Was it a bird or some thing masquerading as a bird? His extrasensory receptors weren't working so he couldn't be sure. No, this was not hell, where he was told predators often mimic the cries and sounds of harmless animals in order to trap their prey. He had never been to hell, of course, but he knew the stories. This was Earth. It was a bird, nothing more. But why was it out after dark? His senses were dull, not much better than a human beings right now. This was what weak mortality felt like. Mortality. Was it really possible that he was Dying? Angels were immortal. God had created them so. Therefore, angels could not die. Unless, of course, God decided otherwise. There was nothing God could not do if he willed it. He parted the bushes to see. A blue jay alighted onto a tree branch. It looked lost, confused, vulnerable. He raised his claw. The bird cocked its head toward him and froze. It leaped from the tree and landed right onto his outstretched claw. He held the blue jay in his gaze. The recent images processed by its mind came flooding into his brain. It was so easy to read the minds of the lower animals. They were more direct, had uncomplicated thoughts geared toward basic instincts, unlike the convoluted machinations from the minds of human beings. Reading the minds of human beings took much practice. Images were confused and often untrue being the product of the boundless human imagination. He experienced the bird's point of view as it flew over a very human world. The bird had no opinion of what it saw. It ignored everything other than potential food or threats. It was a very simple creature. Its instincts were cruel and it was hyper alert to predators. Humans were an annoyance and sometimes a threat. It didn't have any information that could help. He tried tuning his receptors, but was immediately barraged by countless transmissions. He pawed at, his head, pawed at his head and tuned out as fast as he could. He couldn't transmit. His internal antennae had not regenerated, but there wasn't much sense in sending out signals anyway. He was the only one of his kind on Earth right now. There was no one who could receive, let alone understand his message. He released the bird and got unsteadily to his feet. The bird flew a few feet and dropped to the ground. The angel staggered over to it and knelt. He picked it up in his claw and turned it over. It was dead. Why? He examined it, looking for wounds, but found none. Had he held it too tightly? This was a delicate creature, and he hadn't seen a bird in thousands of years. Had he mistakenly done something that caused fatal injury? He patted the dead bird's head and set it down gently. If he could have wept, he would have. But angels cannot cry. He felt the kind of guilt the human animals feel, at least those with conscience. He wasn't even sure why he cared. The bird was inconsequential, just another casualty in the eternal war between God and the adversary, the one whose name was not to be spoken or even thought, the one whose name had been stricken from the roster of angels forever, Lucifer. The name was Lucifer, but he shouldn't have thought that, the morning star, the light bearer. It is an ordered that he henceforth be referred to only as Ha-Satan, the adversary or the accuser. His mind was wandering, out of control. He was becoming undisciplined, his thoughts uncontrollable, his remorse for the dead bird intense. Something was pulling him east, something familiar, instinct. He didn't quite know why, but he had to go back to the area he was originally intended to land. There were demons there somewhere, Demons loyal to Lucifer, the devil. He sat down against a tree and closed his eyes. He needed to think about things. He was asleep within moments.
0: Thank you. Wow, that is pretty intense. Thank you. This is gonna be a fun book to read. Um, Can you tell me what was your favorite part about writing this book?
1: I think it was the, the plot twists, because coming from screenwriting, I was always very acute, I was acutely aware of the need for the book to have surprises that were not duets machinas, but mm-hmm. were still, the reader wouldn't see them coming, but they would make sense. And several people I know told me that they loved it, and it, it read the way a movie would, and that it was exactly done that way, that they didn't see them coming, but they loved them because they made sense and they thought afterward, like, oh, I should have realized that. Mm -hmm. The plot twists were the funnest part.
0: So what was the most challenging part for you?
1: The research, Um, it was, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, Diana. It was like, I became so involved, it delayed even writing the outline. I I found so many interesting things that I could have gone on forever and, and never started writing.
0: Yeah, one one rabbit hole leads to another rabbit hole, leads to 16 days of research <laughs> at the library, and yeah. Exactly. I, I understand that completely. I'm in the middle of writing a Western right now, and several times I have lost my stuff in, in historical research, so I
1: understand. <laughs> I bet it's happened to you, too. It gives you ideas to write another story just from things you find in your research.
0: Oh, absolutely. No question. But that's half the fun of it. It is. You know, I as a child I always saw research at the library like a treasure hunt.
1: I did too. I loved it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you came on the program. I hope you'll come back another day and read for us again.
1: Thank you, Diana. I would love to. I have two more books that I would love to read selections from.
0: Perfect. I look but forward I'm, to that.
1: I'm working on one right now. I'm um that I told you earlier about a three-hour epic that Mm -hmm. my brother wrote well he and i are converting that into a novel and that's what i'm working on right the outline right now
0: excellent excellent well i look forward to it when it's released thank
1: Thank you you so much
0: for joining us today
1: thank you for having me diana i really appreciate it
0: sure thing thank you for listening to indie reads aloud radio We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.